The first MVP just did object detection of vehicles, right? Of, we started with just vehicles, and then we actually ended up scaling it up to being able to detect different objects and being able to be customized by the user. So the very core MVP that we actually released to, to users to buy was uh, a custom trainable computer vision platform that they could go and train their own object detector on. So they have a set of cameras, we're going to give you the software that you can basically feed it a bunch of data and, and it will be able to detect what you know what you want within the camera imagery. You're able to use it from there and retrain it as necessary. I am Cordell France and I am co-founder and CEO of Secret Technologies. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labpart, and today how Cordell France created the ultimate computer vision platform around mobility, ethics, and explainability. All this and more on Code Story. Cordell France has always been infatuated with finding order and chaos, and has carried that way of living throughout his life. He's an engineer by training and schooling, but grew up on a farm. What triggered his interest in AI was the day that his father brought home autonomous driving systems for the farm equipment. His dad let him tinker with it, and Cordell was hooked. In college, he studied physics and mathematics, as his father always told him that there was a lot of math involved with autonomous systems. Aligned with this, he really enjoyed studying calculus. He saw the relationship between time series and control theory, essentially autonomous guidance of a vehicle. And to learn to code, he tried to automate the calculation of derivatives. All in all, he considers math a beautiful thing and sees it behind everything throughout our day-to-day life. For fun, he practices jujitsu and plays the drums. In another life, he says he might have been a drummer, But in this life, he plays along with a wide spectrum of music, from punk rock to country. Both hobbies allow his brain to turn off, but at the same time, Cordell solves some of his biggest technical problems while he is doing his hobbies. Way back in college, Cordell started building a code base around computer vision and detection. He started adding to it over time, made it quite impressive, and figured out a way to monetize the platform. However, coming from the defense industry, he and his co-founder understood the apprehension around the use of AI commercially. They set out to change that. This is the creation story of Seeker Technologies. Seeker Technologies is an artificial intelligence company that builds computer vision products specifically to address adverse environments with an emphasis on explainability, mobility, and ethics. So that's this concise single sentence elevator pitch, right? Let's to break that down for a moment. When I say we build computer vision products for adverse environments, uh, it's pretty easy to go anywhere or then there's a lot of suppliers, a lot of vendors that build neural networks to detect objects and things, right? And do object recognition. We see, a lot in t- see it a lot in self-driving cars, for example. They're doing obstacle avoidance. They're looking for cars, stoplights, stop signs, etc. Where we specialize is uh, we actually are look we actually uh, our platform is 
specializes in detecting these kinds of patterns and doing object detection and guidance specifically uh, through cameras, um, but in like smoky environments. Environments where it's more adverse, uh, there's uh, you know the camera lens is broken or there's rain there's rain smudge right so uh, you can imagine where scenarios where uh, it's not exactly clear daylight right maybe perhaps in defense or agriculture where it's really dusty uh, being able to apply the same neural network that detects something in clear day color imagery isn't gonna have the same performance so you really have to perf you have to build it in a different way. Um, so that's where, that's where our, our expertise comes in. That's where our product comes in, uh, is, is we excel in that. Um, and on top of that, we're actually able to provide explainability on why the classifications made were actually made and pinpoint to the exact, you know, neuron essentially within the neural network that suggests this is what, you know, this is where it went wrong essentially. And we can go back and, and tweak our models accordingly. Mobility, which is the second tier, uh, we're tr we emphasize our, our products in being mobile. So uh, we don't want to have a tie to the cloud for a couple of reasons. We, we, we really want to have our products run fast, run at the edge, not have to make a transaction with the cloud. Some of our applications that we uh, build for can't talk to the cloud. So they've got to be used on edge on the device um, and, and be, you know, really fast, really quick within the control loop. There's also a protection of privacy with that. So you're not you're not risking exposure of, of any data by going to the cloud and having to receive something back. Uh, that third tier is ethics, right? So if 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 anyone um, I don't know if you've seen the uh, uh, the show on Netflix called Coded Bias, it really shows some interesting problems today in AI. Uh, that's uh, some some things that need to be solved. Just to give a, a brief example, there's a, a lot of facial recognition systems that uh, incorrectly classify certain types of people over the other um, and wrongly convict them, or there's certain credit systems that approve certain demographics. Um, for credit, higher credit limits than others uh, due to these AI models that are inherently biased due to the data they were trained on. So being, and that's, that really comes down to an engineering problem and making sure your data sets are well-rounded and that your algorithm is attributing e equal weight to all aspects of the data. So we take a particular focus on that to try to mitigate bias in any regard whatsoever um, by having multiple organizations come in, actual experts from the field that we're building come in um, to really try to negate that and build a better name for AI essentially. I started building the code base for Seeker when I was actually in college. Um, and uh, again, you know, I, I've always been kind of infatuated with autonomous systems. And, uh, you know, one way to guide an autonomous system or to guide a robot essentially is through cameras, is through vision. So I really took hold of computer vision um, again, kind of seeing how that math aspect related to computer vision um, and, and, and being able to incorporate my expertise and influence in that regard into code, uh, I was able to, I started building a, a computer vision platform that was uh, pretty intelligent in some regard. Uh, and, and it kind of turned in from a hobby into something that was actually quite impressive and something that turned into something that we could actually monetize. I kind of held on to it for a while and just kind of kept adding capability to it. And then um, my co-founder and I, uh, Zach Newman, we we both came from defense uh, industries and we saw a lot of potential for artificial intelligence to be used. But in defense, it's really hard for those things to take hold because the consequences for AI being wrong are very severe, right? And sometimes AI is a black box. So you can't really determine why it made uh, a, a decision it made. 
there's there's some apprehension there um and and we wanted to try to change that so that was one of the primary reasons in which uh we wanted to where we started seeker is trying to kind of change that notion of what okay well we need to make these decisions explainable by ai in order to capture use and capture appreciation from industries such as defense and medicine because there's a lot of capability that we have that we aren't exploiting right now so tell me about the mvp so that first product you build the first version of secret technologies how long did it take to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life the very first product we built um, was, uh, so we started with a computer vision platform that could be scaled in, in different verticals. It's because we really didn't know exactly where our first customers were going to come. We knew where we wanted to go. But uh, the first MVP just did uh, object detection of, of, of vehicles, right? Of, we started with just vehicles. And then we actually ended up scaling it up to different, uh, being able to detect different or different objects, and being able to be customized by the user. So the very core MVP um, that we actually released to to users to buy was uh, a custom trainable computer vision platform that they could go and train their own object detector on. So they have a set of cameras. We're going to give you the software that you can basically feed it a bunch of data and, and it will be able to detect what you know what you want within the camera imagery and we'll build the software will automatically build the uh, the neural network for you it'll automatically build the code that you can integrate into your camera depending for multiple languages um, and you know you can you're able to use it from there and retrain it as necessary that's what we started out as right so basically just building a plain vanilla object detector um, that multiple, that you could basically customize yourself with any MVP, right, you got to make certain decisions and trade-offs about, okay, we're going to build it this way first, right? And you talked about vehicles first, right? Or we're going to take on this sort of technical debt. We're going to build it in this way so that it's fast, right? So tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to make in that MVP and how you coped with them. One of the biggest things that I struggled with was uh, we, we didn't know exactly what vertical we were going to scale up into. And so... It's, it was very simple to basically pick, okay, healthcare. We're gonna build for healthcare and we're gonna market that and we're gonna spend all of our calories on that and we're gonna make healthcare work and we're gonna build all of our tech to specialize in just that. But if you're wrong, uh, the, especially you know as, as trying to be a lean startup, uh, the consequences are more severe. So the decision we made to kind of de-risk it was to basically build a platform that could be leveraged in different industries, whether it's agriculture, defense, manufacturing, medicine, etc. Um, and that took a bit more time and more effort, obviously a little more, uh, a lot a few more man hours, a lot more coding. Um, but we also went a step further in making it adaptable to multiple, multiple programming languages because we didn't ever want to have to turn a customer down because, uh, well, you know, you guys, your, your AI models are written in Python, but we really need it in C++ or we really need it in uh, to fit on an iPhone that runs in Swift or an Android that runs in Java, whatever. So we built it to be adaptable to multiple languages and being able to kind of say, okay, this is where we're going to take our, spend our money is building this platform out in that regard instead of actually probably acquiring customers at this point was... Uh, a bit of a difficult, um, a bit of a difficult decision to make, but I think it ended up being the right decision in in the long run uh, because we were able to kind of fill out different industries in order to kind of gather our niche to say, okay, we we see that these guys are taking hold a lot more. This is where we should focus our effort because we have market knowledge, market feedback on on what people want in specific industries. 
So from that point, then, how did you mature and progress the product? You know, how did you build what was next and and create a roadmap? And even, you know, I say build what's next, but decide what is the next most important thing to build. A couple of steps that we took right after that was to uh, actually try to integrate with different sensor mediums. So you have a computer vision platform. Well, vision is just one thing, right? Uh, we try, we, so we actually built it to be coupled with radar, be coupled with LIDAR, be coupled with different type of, you know, in camera imagery, you could have infrared, you could have night vision, you could have all these different types of things. So being able to make it adaptable to all these different situations um, was one thing that we took it to the next level with. The other was being able to really make it work in these adverse environments. So, uh, you know, in agriculture, you've got a very dusty environment where our platform wasn't going to work very well. So we had to take the steps to make our, our technology, our AI, be able to still detect everything it needed to with a cloud of dust going through it, right? Um, so, and, and, you know, the same thing with rain and, you know, you have aerial imagery of a drone coming through and it's got smudges on the camera or whatever, right? Like all these or cloud cover, all these different things that you've got to accommodate for that really make the product robust in real world environments. Those are the next steps that we've took to, to outside off of the MVP in order to kind of make it more appealing. Um, another thing that we, uh, that's interesting that we, we didn't anticipate, but that we learned a lot with and really has influenced a lot of our, our development uh, in regards to privacy is our first few products we built for medicine. Uh, we actually put them through a clinical trial, but the standards around HIPAA compliancy, uh, which is uh, basically a standard that protects particularly in the United States, it's a standard that protects uh, patients' data from being sold to third parties by the medical provider um, or the, the entity collecting the data. Um, we had to be very strict in how we handle data. Um, and that, in, in, you know, we had to have server audits and data transaction audits and all these different things in order to make sure we were compliant. And we kind of carried those practices with us in um, into every one of our products, not just medicine, because it kind of gives people a better sense of security that, okay, I can trust this device because I know it's probably it's going to be handling my data in a more appropriate manner than it otherwise would be if it wasn't implementing these standards. And uh, I think that's one thing in order to, to kind of garner trust with artificial intelligence from some of these industries or some of these players that may be a little apprehensive at first to enter and, and use AI is being able to say, hey, we'll, we'll make sure to protect your privacy. Uh, we're not trying to sell your data and monetize it in that regard. Um, and, uh, you know, being able to kind of, that's kind of angled our development a little bit and been a, a good learning lesson that uh, we've been able to uh, accommodate. Well, let's switch to team then. So tell me about how you built your team and what you looked for in those individuals to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you. One thing uh, I particularly look for in building a, a team um, is being able to take negative feedback, right? Um, and and constructive feedback, but negative feedback. And I don't mean like being uh, berated, right? Like in a, a super negative manner, but being able to say, hey, uh, this is where our product's going wrong. This is where your work might've gone wrong. Let's take a look at it. I think uh, being able to, especially with a technology that's as pivotal as artificial intelligence and some of the applications which it's being used in right with like sensitive applications like ai and defense it's very important to 
admit when you're wrong, right? Whoever, wherever they, whoever you know, cause a problem. Maybe it's not some particular person, but it's a, a, it's an algorithm or whatever it is. It's it's very important that you find the problem and you solve it. And and we there's there can't be pride in the way because there's people's lives that are affected by these products. So I think uh, obviously being able to take negative feedback is one aspect we look for in um, in in our team. It's it's very important. Like if you have a, a software engineer on your team and that software engineer t- leaves, uh, they're not necessarily replaceable, right? You've got to, because you, you have a certain, you, you drive a certain way with them and you, you kind of become synchronous and uh, you're, you know, coming the same wavelength as them in their work. And you can just 2x, 3x, 4x your work versus you, what you'd be able to do with someone that you don't necessarily uh, work as well with. So being able to find people that you blend well with and you can get along with and, um, you know, I, I, in, I, it, I try to, I try to like think of it like a family, right? Like uh, you, you want to try to build a relationship both within work and without and with outside of work. Um, you want to try to separate the two to some degree, but I want to be able to say, you know, that I've got your back outside of work, and that we, you know, we're we're building a family, and that uh, you know, it's it's at this level of trust and level of security to know that they're gonna basically perform better uh they're gonna enjoy their job i you know i know that they're gonna come into work the next day because they're happy uh and and making sure that you know it's it's the the relationship goes on just a little bit past regular employment um the third thing we look for is uh, basically passion for uh what you're we're doing right obviously you're coming to work for a paycheck but you want to make sure you're coming to work for a lot more than that right you're, you're actually coming to work because you you want to mature the goal or you you're career goals, your passions align with the goals of Seeker and what we're trying to do. Um, because if that's, if that's the case, your quality of work is going to be a lot higher um, and we're going to be all the better for it. And it's going to be a lot much longer lasting relationship. So uh, being able to see that you like dem- you have projects that demonstrate you have passion, like you, you're passionate about robotics or artificial intelligence or whatever outside of your regular work uh, is something we particularly look for when we um, at least interview people. Let's talk about scalability a little bit. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one or are you kind of fighting this as you grow? A little bit of both. So we built it to scale from day one, but there's different ways in which it could scale. Uh, like there's there's certain scenarios where, or at least one particular scenario that I could think of where there was a more, there was a more optimal way to, there was an optimal way to write the code uh, for this next phase of the design that uh, would scale a lot better, but we had a, a, a strict deadline and we had a really big um, uh, customer contract that didn't allow for the time for that. So we kind of had a bandaid it, right? And so that uh, actually took a little bit of effort to reverse that that decision. Um, and you know, in hindsight, we don't regret it because we were able to acquire that customer and 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 uh, secure the contract. But uh, there's there's definitely an optimal way to go about it. And sometimes I uh, I think that it's worth almost like just taking a step back before you engineer anything and just saying, okay, what is the f- second, third, fourth, and fifth step of this look like before I actually write any code or before I actually design anything or before I go hire somebody. Um, to make sure that what we're about to do is scalable and it's in both in in costs and both in time and all the above and to make sure the runtime is efficient. I definitely appreciate kind of uh, thinking before you shoot a lot more than I used to. I used to just kind of, okay, I've got my, I know what we need to do, let's go. That kind of mentality. 
Uh, and now I, I'm more of a, all right, just let's take, you know, a breather for five minutes and actually, you know, let the subconscious kick in and try to mull everything over and make sure that we're actually doing things the optimal way. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across what you've built, what are you most proud of? I think uh, the first thing is probably the team. Um, I've, uh, I, we've, we've assembled a, a great team that has taught me a lot more than anything. Um, uh, and, and the way we, we work so well together that we're able to accomplish so much more. I mean, the amount of things that we can get done in such a short amount of time is honestly, it's incredible, right? And it goes back to that notion I was mentioning a minute ago where if you, you know, uh, one, one person, one teammate's not necessarily replaceable by another person if, if something happens. So uh, the team by far is probably the most thing I'm proud of, of that we've built. Uh, and, you know, they've built a, a lot in me for in some regard, made me a better leader, a better engineer, a better, uh, uh, you know, more help me acquire more business acumen in that regard. Um, uh, the second thing is is probably the effort that or the awareness that we've built in some regard for uh, explainable and ethical AI. Um, there's, you know, in, in Silicon Valley, there's a lot of of there's a lot of demand to move fast and break things, right? I think it's the Facebook's model, but it's there's when you have a technology that's as pivotal as artificial intelligence and has can have as much of an impact, but also um, has can have the effect on people's livelihoods and the ways in which it's used and the industries in which it's used. That takes some. That, that's kind of a sobering thing to think about, and that takes some. Um, there's some careful things that we've got to consider in order to make sure that the progress of development in AI in that regard uh, is actually it's good right and it's beneficial um, and it actually protects people's privacy and it actually is for the benefit of, of you know of mankind in general um, and it sounds like a little bit of a doomsday approach of what I'm, I'm painting here but I there's some of these things really do have catastrophic uh, consequences that are, are deployed today and it's important that we try to uh, you know try to rectify that as much as possible so let's flip the script a little bit so tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it the biggest mistake I made early on was not adhering to negative feedback or actually really not even seeking negative feedback I there's a lot of emphasis especially like especially for entrepreneurial support and entrepreneurial uh, media that you've got to be really bold in your vision and you've got to you know don't compromise anything for what anyone else says and and be really bold about the way you go things and I do I do agree to that with some regard but there's I think it's very necessary to seek negative feedback um, because it's it's not necessarily a compromise in your vision and right there's a fine line between when people are naysayers and when you actually have negative feedback but uh, if you can, if you can build the art to discern the two, uh, negative feedback actually can save you a lot of time. There's a few scenarios that I can think of, particularly with Seeker, where if I would have actually sought negative feedback or where I actually would have listened to people who were coming from a place of love on why not to do something or why I should do something that I didn't see the benefit of at the time. Uh, I would have, uh, I, I regret that now, um, and I, and I, because I was too hard charging, or I was too, you know, uh, not compromising in the way I wanted to do things. But being able to support or, or construct a support group that actually will give you negative feedback is difficult in general too, because a lot of people don't want to disappoint you. But it, 
it really can make or break your company and your product because it's, uh, you know, your customers especially are gonna tell you what they hate and what they love. And if you are willing to actually listen um, and, and really kind of uh, support them along the way, then you can really gain some very valuable insight that can save you honestly months or years in, of development and a lot of money in development. What does the future look like for Seeker, for the, the product and for your team? So my ultimate career goal has always been to, uh, I've, al I've always wanted to try to simulate consciousness in some regard, or try to uh, build AI that w we can say replicates a very significant portion of consciousness. Right now, artificial intelligence has a lot of these very narrow, um, these very narrow applications, whether it's uh, you know object detection that we just spoke about, or it's natural language processing, um, all these different very narrow uh, applications that don't necessarily constitute uh, general artificial intelligence as a whole. I'd like to be a part of that movement, right? Obviously, that's that's my career goal. So if we can build, uh, if we can build our products to represent more and more structure of how we know the human brain uh, is constructed and how it behaves. Um, you know, I'm, that's, that's, that's the goal for Secret Release. We have, uh, a, we don't advertise it particularly, but a lot of our AI, a lot of our computer vision that we built actually is constructed to partially emulate the visual cortex. And not just in the neural network architecture, right? But just in the way uh, the flow of information is handled and everything. And so we're actually trying to, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a rudimentary start, but it's a start nonetheless. And um, if we can if we can acquire the necessary expertise from uh, experts in the field of neuroscience that can advise us along the way, which we have already started, um, you know, that's that's something I'd be um, a pretty big fan of because if a lot of people right now see like AI in the future as Terminator or iRobot, right? And it's probably safe to say that it's inevitable that we're going to get to a point where we're going to, if we don't sim, if we don't actually replicate consciousness, we're able to simulate very extensive parts of it. And maybe it's a hundred years away, but there's an opportunity to be, to make that outcome good and right. And to make that outcome beneficial. And so we can actually learn from what that becomes right or what that simulation is to say okay let's use this to try to cure some diseases right some neurodegenerative diseases or let's use this to try to understand humans a little bit more uh instead of trying to build terminator if if you if i can be a part of the process and secret can be a part of the process that makes sure that outcome is good and it's it's obviously beneficial um then you know then i, I we've accomplished the vision for secret for sure i'm glad you brought up uh irobot and terminator because i do think that that tends to be what people picture in the front of their mind of, okay, this is what AI is, or this is what robotics is, or, or this is, you know, all, all of the above, right? So to try to make that a good outcome of, a, of an area where we're probably, traject we're probably tracking towards anyway, uh, not that specific outcome, but towards consciousness, towards AI, towards replicating that, uh, that makes a ton of sense. Absolutely. And it's interesting because you see this beautiful dance between artificial artificial intelligence and neuroscience, right? Our AI was originally developed to, uh, or the reason it succeeded is because it partially replicated or attempted to replicate a portion of the way the human brain behaves. And then uh, we actually able to understand more aspects of neuroscience by the AI we construct. And so you have this beautiful feedback loop in which one helps build the progress of the other. And you know, if we can continue that, 
to a point where we can build an, an AI system that's uh, you know, nearly replicable of the human brain that we can understand how it operates and how certain things happen, then we can treat so many more potentially diseases, right? Or potentially the conditions of the human brain. Um, and it doesn't end up as iRobot. And you, you, when you kind of explain some of these things to people, it, you see them light up, right? And you see them, you see them kind of like, uh, oh, I didn't think about that because all I see in pop culture is Terminator and iRobot. I don't see the good side of what could happen of it. Uh, so let's uh, let's hope that there's a lot more players in there that influence that good outcome. So let's switch to you, Cordell. Who influences the way that you work? Name a CEO, CTO, really any person, uh, a person that you look up to, and why? My father taught me how to multitask really well. Uh, he's he run uh, multiple businesses and and uh, doesn't sleep, and so he's he's taught me a lot about how to kind of manage things in parallel paths. So I've I've. I look up to him in that regard and for a lot of other reasons. Uh, I've had some incredible mentors along the way um, throughout, uh, both at Seeker and outside of Seeker. Uh, a gentleman by the name of John Bugey was a chief engineer of mine and he was very direct and he was very, um, he was very blunt, but I actually liked that because it cut through the, it cut through all of the noise and said exactly what I needed to do to improve and to, and, and that's kind of a hard, that's a hard skill that I admire, right? Because it's not always easy to do something like that. But I, working under him, I, I shaped up into, you know, I, I turned three years into one year probably because of, of his expertise and, and influence. Um, I, I've always been a fan of uh, Da Vinci, right? And his curiosity and just having, always having that childlike curiosity and being able to uh, just always marvel at what you're looking at, always question why something works and always trying to figure it out on your own. Um, and I mean, it's, uh, he was an, an incredible person in general, but that part of him was uh, quite remarkable. And, uh, you know, it's uh, something I've, I've tried to carry throughout my whole life is just always be curious and, and always, always try to kind of question why things are done and how things are done and, and try to, uh, and, and try to really, yeah, understand it. Well, we talked about a mistake, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach? Again, I'd probably have to go back and say that I tell myself to, to definitely seek out negative feedback and to definitely, uh, you know, look, talk to customers a lot more and, and to, and honestly, advisors, right, to try to make sure that we are, uh, that I'm running things in the way that they should be done and that we're pursuing the right things in, in parallel. Um, Another thing is to probably not be such a control freak, <laughs> not be, so I'm, I'm a control freak in general, right? Like I, I've, I'm a micromanager and that's, that's just like, that's how I am. But I found that getting out of people's way, like we have some really incredible people that work for Seeker and some really smart uh, people that have taught me along the way. And if you just get out of their way, and let them do things they'll do things better than you can do right so like i i was the i was the original software engineer behind all of secrets code base and so being able to hand that off to other people is kind of difficult because i'm like well, why did you do things that way I, this is a more off this is an optimal way to do it you shouldn't do it that way and but you come back to find later that now nah, they might have been right and you know if you just let them get to the solution in their own manner they'll probably end up doing it better than you could do it uh, so that's that's been a hard lesson to learn, and I, if I could go back, I'd probably um, uh, I'd probably try to convince myself to yeah 
ease up a little bit and to just let the experts do their job. I don't know if you have kids. I have kids. So it's, it's, you know, it's really a different mindset of being like, okay, I want to make you better than I am, right? I, I want you to do things better than I would have done it. And it's hard because you know a way that works, right? And you, you want to be like, this. I know this works, so I want to teach you this way. But ultimately, you want your team and you want you want the product to be better than you could have made it yourself, right? It, it's difficult it's for an engineer. I know I relate to that. Well, last question, Cordell. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? So I'd, I'd ask them to kind of give me their elevator pitch, right? Um, and, and kind of talk, tell me everything that they can about their product because you kind of, it, it, people start to explain what they know and you can kind of, you can kind of detect how authentic their product really is or how much they've actually developed, right? Um, and how passionate they are about what they're doing. And so, you know, hearing people out or hearing the, the entrepreneur out would obviously be the first thing. But then, um, again, to sound like a broken record, I would emphasize seek negative feedback, assemble a great team, um, make sure that you are very, you're very stringent on the people that you want to be a part of your company because it, you know, it's, it's a smaller team of quality people that you are like your family are going to excel and, and propel you much further than, you know, twice as many engineers that you're maybe not as close with and you don't work as well with. So be very selective about who you include um, within your within your company. And then the third thing I would think would or I, I think would be to try to try to uh, address things from multiple angles, right? Multiple disciplines. So for example, like a software engineering problem, having a mechanical or a, sorry, a mechanical engineering problem, having like a software engineer's expertise sounds crazy. It really does. But sometimes they think of things that you don't think of, right? And I'm using mechanical and software engineering as one example, but having another discipline come in to kind of uh, look at a problem that you're looking at actually has a significant impact in, in, in my personal experience uh, and just from what I've seen with Seeker that uh, you because you when you're when you're very good at one discipline you actually you kind of like channel your thinking into one way and it's kind of hard as you become more and more uh, more and more of an expert in that discipline your thinking becomes more and more aligned in that regard and and so sometimes it's hard to see things from a different angle but uh, that's that's pretty invaluable um, and so I would encourage the entrepreneur to kind of seek counsel from multiple sources, especially um, domain expertise, right? Not just engineering expertise, but domain expertise for the product you're actually trying to sell. Right on. That's great advice. Well, Cordell, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Seeker. Noah, thank you. And thank you for all of your audience. I'm a big fan of the show and uh, continue to support it. Thank you. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.